In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about the five stages of your sales funnel and the tools to use in each one. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 391. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you've built your first product or you're just thinking about it, I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. How are you doing this week, Rob? You know, I'm doing all right. I actually have a bit of an announcement to make my last day at Drip. Well, when this goes live, it'll have been a, a couple weeks since um, I decided to leave. So is, does that mean that you are gone or you're in the process of leaving? No, I'm gone. Yep. It was a lot. <laughs> no, that, that was overly undramatic letdown there. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm gone. Yeah. I mean, it was totally, totally amicable. Obviously, this has to happen at some point, right? I mean, your company gets acquired and, and you hang around for the transition. And I mean, I, I worked there, both Derek and I worked there almost two years after the Lead Pages acquired Drip. And Derek left in, I think it was February. And that, of course, got me thinking, you know, A, working on Drip without Derek was less fun for me. And it definitely got me thinking about, about plans of what I wanted to do. And I started evaluating, am I going to stick around for all of 2018? And, and then, in all honesty, the team came together really well. We hired a, a CTO and there's a, the senior director of product who I mentioned on the show in the past really came up to speed super fast. And, and suddenly I looked around and I thought to myself, what am I doing here anymore? Like, what am, what am I contributing? You know, and obviously there's value that I bring as the co-founder and as someone who's worked on it for five and a half years. But realistically, like people are kicking ass and taking names and they're really fired up about it in, in the company. And there's, you know, there's 60 something people working on Drip now. And my what I can contribute is so much less valuable than what I could when we were five or 10 people. So five and a half years for me is a really long time to work on anything. The longest I've ever worked on something before that, I had a, a job for two and a half years. You know, I mean, I tend to do this, we've talked about this on the podcast, tend to do these 18, maybe 24 month things. And then I kind of move on to the next thing. And uh, Drip was a long one because it was big and there was an acquisition and all that. But it makes me happy that I really do. I know everybody says this like, oh, I left it in really good hands. But like, I wouldn't have left if it wasn't in good hands. You know, I mean, this is a pretty big part of my career. I spent like a third of my career. I was doing the math, about a third of my career working on Drip. And I'm certainly, you know, I still run several businesses and, and mailing lists on it. So it's not anything that I'll be switching away from. I still think it's the best tool, you know, the best tool out there to do it. And, and we, we mapped out the roadmap for yeah, about a year and there's a vision, a two to three year vision that we talked through. So there's all this stuff in place that I feel honestly just pretty, pretty good about, but it is bittersweet, right? It's always bittersweet to do anything like this. Cause there's, you know, I don't get to go in the office and kind of like the team. I like working with the people. So that was probably the hardest part of the decision for me. So uh, I'll be blunt about it. So you're unemployed is what you're saying. <laughs> I, exactly. That is a very good way. Unemployed and unemployable is probably the. No, you're right, man. I, should I file? Should I file for unemployment? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you can if you quit. So, oh, that's right. you know, that's right. I, I think the, you, you have to look into that. But um, my guess is probably not. <laughs> I'm probably not. Yeah, I don't think I've ever uh, or I know that I've, I've never even filed for unemployment in my life. So I don't know. I don't know what that uh, would be like. Yep. But you're right, man. I'm just, uh, you know, aside from microconf and doing some writing, like I've been talking about in the two podcasts, kind of just hanging around, taking some time off. I think I want to take the whole summer off and not like do anything serious, you know, not tackle anything. And I'm still sticking by my, I'm never doing that again thing. 
Like I'm not doing another startup, man. I just <laughs> can't not from the ground up. It's just too much. Yeah. So cool. I'm not sure how that, how this really factors into it, but I, I've I've been meaning to bring this up for a while, and I, I kept forgetting. But I was driving downtown in the town that I live in the other day, and I came across this street. It was Atwood Ave, so it immediately made me think of Jeff Atwood. And then I came across Walling Ave, yep, like literally right next to it. And I'm like, if I come across like Spolsky Boulevard without seeing Tabor Street, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> Oh, that's without Tabor Street. That's awesome. Yeah, Jeff Atwood, the man, codinghorror.com. I used to read his blog years ago. I, don't, I haven't read it in a while, have you? I pop over there on occasion, but he doesn't blog nearly as much as he used to. So, you know, the, the content doesn't refresh as regularly. But I mean, he still does really highly in-depth articles on various things. And I was like reading about the stuff he does on like the high performance, low power computing things that he puts together because he's always looking for ways to improve on previous designs with lower cost and better computer parts and things like that. So like, basically, I think it's a home theater PC that he basically puts out there every year. Yep. And I love his, I love how his pieces are really long, which is very much in vogue today, but he's been doing that since he's, you know, started the blog. I'm thinking his blog has been around probably since I started mine in 2005. And I think we started within a few months of each other because we were in some early blogging books together. And that's kind of how he and I ran across each other. And, you know, interesting, interesting thing. My first big speaking gig was in, I think it was maybe 2009, it was 2008 or nine. And it was a business of software and it was a lightning talk, right? It was the Pachachka seven minute thing where the slides flip automatically. And I was able to, or I was encouraged to do that by Jeff Atwood. And I saw him at one of Spolsky's events. Remember where they used to do the Stack Overflow like dev days? It was like 99 mm -hmm. bucks. Yeah. So I saw, ran into Jeff Atwood. We had never met. And I introduced myself and said, I have software by Rob. And he's like, oh, I love that blog. So we like instantly connected and we had emailed before. But I, I really like in the back of my mind, I was super nervous going up to him because I never met him and I kind of hold him in high regard. And I've never once regretted having that conversation because it really, I had never been to BOS. I went, I talked, a bunch of people knew who I was. And I was like, well, that's weird. Why, how do they know me? And it was from this blog thing, right? I mean, this is, this is early days. Like this was before all of, you know, the podcasts and all this other stuff. And so I didn't realize how small our community actually was. I just thought I was, I knew I had, I don't know, at the time, probably 20,000 readers, but I didn't realize that that was a huge chunk of the, you know, a huge chunk of them would, would be at, at a conference like BOS. It was a very concentrated thing. So that was my, my first thing that then encouraged me to like write the book. And I don't know, there was something about um, the momentum that that created. So I guess the, the moral of that story is it's always encouraged me to do things that are really terrifying because that one move, I actually left the building and was walking out to my car. I'd seen Jeff Atwood and I left and I said, I, I'm too kind of whatever, scared or nervous to go up to him. And then I walked back in from the parking lot and I walked up to him and he was in a buffet line. And I was just like, Jeff Atwood, Rob Walling, you know what I'm saying? And that, that moment, like, I think it literally changed, changed my life, maybe a little overstating it, but it's at least, it's had a pretty profound impact on, on the course of my professional career. So long story short, you met Jeff Atwood a long time ago, and now you're buying roads in my town and naming them after yourself. That's right. That is the, <laughs> uh, indeed, sir. Yes. Cool. All right. How about you? What's what's new this week? 
Well, I recently went through a, uh, a pretty much a disaster. Like I use Chrome for my web browser, and for whatever reason, the last time it went through an update, you know, you get that little green arrow in the corner, and it's just like, oh, click here, it'll shut down everything and open up all the windows for you again. And when it did that, it blew away my local cache for literally every website that I've ever gone to. For some reason, I have no idea why or how this happened, but like all of my two-factor authentication stuff went away. Like I had to re-log into all the different sites that I was using that, whether it was Facebook or Twitter and Amazon and like a bunch of stuff. So it was all gone for some reason. But fortunately, I had LastPass. So it was it wasn't that bad. But still, I mean, there were some things where it's like, oh, you know, use your authenticator. And I'm like, crap, I've got three of them. Which one is it? Yeah. Oh, that sucks, dude. It nuked your two-factor authentication. Yeah, that's, oh, I hate when that happens. And then all the sites are slow now, right? Because it has to recache everything. No, I mean, this, the sites don't seem slow. It's just that like all my cookies and stuff were gone. And I use Clicky for my website analytics. And I have my own machine, like I was logged into it so that it excludes all of my, my IP address information. So it automatically filters out me when I visit the site. And I hadn't realized that it blew away everything until I went to, to check my analytics that day and realized that there were tons of actions and quote unquote visitors on there because it was me doing a bunch of testing on it. So it's just like, great. So all my stats for that day are totally screwed up. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's a bummer, man. iOS has done that to me a couple times where it will install uh, an update and it like nukes a bunch of my settings. And I, I'll be like, why, why am I not getting texts on my MacBook anymore? And I just go in and the settings off and it used to be on, you know, it, it was, it was on last week. And I don't, I'm not quite sure not quite sure why that would happen. Obviously, it's a bug in the in the upgrade, but it's really irritating. Certainly not as bad as what you've experienced, but kind of a pain in the butt when that happens. Yeah, that's the only time that that's ever happened to me, at least that bad with Chrome. But yeah, that's one of those things that it encourages people to not upgrade software or, you know, their devices. So I know to resist, resist doing it. I hear you. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, that's why I try to really be careful about doing updates and stuff on my own software. But sometimes there's the need to sort of break stuff on occasion. Yeah, for sure. Cool. What are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be going through the five stages of your sales funnel and the tools to use at each stage. And uh, this is an outline that I put together based on an article over at ignitevisibility.com, and we'll link that up in the show notes. But I found it kind of fascinating the way that they broke out the stages of the sales funnel and, and specifically showed the different tools that you could use at each one. And I look back through our archives and like we don't have an episode on like a, a, how to put together a sales funnel or specifically what it looks like or what tools to use. So I thought it'd be good to go through this article and kind of talk about what they have to say and then provide our own take on it. Cool. Sounds good. Let's dive in. So stage one that they list is awareness. And the basic idea with stage one is that unless somebody knows that you even exist, they're, they're not aware of it, of course. So they're, they're not going to come to your website. They're not going to download anything. They're not going to go put their name in for a trial or sign up for a trial. They're not going to come to a webinar, nothing. So you have to make them aware that you exist to begin with. And in this stage, they put a bunch of tools that uh, we've talked about on the show in the past and you know the listeners have probably used in the past. So things like SEMRush and AREFs, Buffer, Hootsuite, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And there's several others in there that are, are probably much further ahead than most people. So one example is GrowBots, but that's like $500 a month and they bill it annually. So I think that anyone who's starting out, that's really beyond their price range. But the basic gist of a lot of these things is that they're ways to help 
put you in front of people or to connect with people. So if you kind of categorize those tools, it's really based around SEO and social media. And there's lots of other ways to find channels of customers, but those are the ones that they kind of focus on with the, the tools that they showed. And if you're interested in more, I mean, this is the list of marketing approaches, right? This is putting together a marketing plan. You can go back to episode 384, just a few weeks back, where we, you and I tore down the Blue Tick marketing plan. You can also read the book Traction that gives you, I don't know, was it 15 or 20 different uh, ideas for driving traffic? And SaaS Marketing Essentials by Ryan Battles. Those are three off the top of my head that I would read if I was thinking about uh, creating awareness for a new or an existing app. I did want to take a few minutes to dive into some additional tools that they don't use here or call out here. And maybe that's just because their company provides certain services and the other marketing channels are, are not included in those. But some of the things that came to mind was like paid advertising. So whether it's Facebook ads or Twitter ads, really, it's just, uh, you know, traffic acquisition in stage one and trying to get people to know who you are. You could also do like billboard advertisements, for example, or you could pay to be in a newsletter that it gets sent out regularly. There's uh, several that I've seen out there where you can pay $500 or $1,000 and they will include an advertisement or uh, basically a sponsorship for whatever your product is or your service to their newsletter list. And then there's tools like Canva, which helps you provide marketing collateral that you can either publish on your website or send to people. Another option for social media would be TweetDeck, which I think is offered directly from Twitter, isn't it? I believe they acquired it a few years ago. Yep. Yep. So that's another alternative to either Hootsuite or Buffer. But again, st stage one is really just about building awareness that you even exist as an option to solve a problem that a customer may have. Stage two is about interest. It's finding out if a customer is interested, keeping them on your website, or getting an email address from them. So this is not a full qualification, right? When you think of, uh, of, of qualifying a sales lead, this is really just getting one more step past they're on your website. Now, are they going to click around or opt in to hear more from you? One of the things that I want to point out as we go through these is that the way that they break down these different stages is it seems to me like there's a little bit of a, a difference between how they would do it versus I would do it. But the basic gist of what they're trying to do here is say that like when you get past the point of where they are aware of you, they express some sort of interest, but you still don't know who they are as as the vendor. So you have to use tools like Unbalance or Crazy Egg or Visual Website Optimizer to try and find out, are they browsing around on your website and are they taking an interest in whatever it is that you're doing. So that stage one are those people who you put an advertisement in front of them, maybe they click through to it, come to your website, and then immediately bounce. Or they search for something and they get on your website and they're like, nope, this isn't what I was looking for, and they hit the back button. Whereas with interest, you're trying to gauge how interested are those people who are coming to your website in what it is that you have to offer, whether it's uh, articles or educational material or an email list or lead magnets, any of those kinds of things, are they clicking around the website and actually reading? Because if they're not, they're not interested and they really kind of fall in that first bucket. But if they are, you can see heat maps and things like that that will help you provide a better idea of what is going on. Yeah. So to summarize, these are people on your website who you don't know who they are yet, right? So tools for this are going to be things like Google Analytics, which is going to give you, you know, a lot of aggregate data. Clicky, which is essentially a competitor, one of the main competitors I know to Google Analytics. It's real-time web analytics. And then tools for getting capturing that email address, obviously something like Optin Monster or Drip with its email capture widget or Kickoff Labs. Although Kickoff Labs, do they do more than, than just like landing pages and kind of pre-launch pages? 
Yeah, they have uh, widgets that you can embed into your website that would allow people to sign up. So, and then they can take those and they can add additional metadata to them and then send it over to whatever your marketing platform is. So if you have Drip, like they'll pre-populate it based on the email address and then send it over to you. Yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. So that's, and SumoMe is another one, right? That's going to help you capture emails. And I think Mixpanel and Kismetrics at this point would also be helpful. They are designed more to measure funnels and may actually maybe at this step, it would be less helpful, but I think to cover the whole, you know, all five stages of the funnel, one of those tools that gets into, it's it's not just aggregate data, but you can look at individuals once they're identified and, and see where they stopped. Another good tool in this stage is Hotjar, which I have an account with them, and they've got a free account that you can sign up for that is pretty good if you don't have a, a ton of traffic to your website yet. And it'll give you some of that heat mapping information and show you like conversion rates where people are going to, like let's say, your homepage, and you want to see how many people who come to the website are coming to the pricing page, for example. And it will show you that information. You can also do screen recordings of as people browse on, around your website or on certain pages, and it will give you an idea of what people are looking at. And that's that can be helpful for deciding what it is that you should be focusing on or what changes you should make on your website. But stage two is really about tracking what people are doing on the website and then optimizing it to help move them on to stage three. Yeah, I think Hotjar is a good tool. We've used it at Drip as well. The third stage is called evaluation. And I don't like the phrasing of this solely because if you say evaluation, to me, it means like you're doing a trial, but the context that they mean it in is they're evaluating whether or not to give your tool a chance or which tool it is that they're going to spend some time and effort looking into whether they're going to sign up for a trial for it, or they're going to go to some webinars. And really, this is just them trying to gather more information about your tool and potentially some others to give them more information. And tools that fall into this category are things like Camtasia Studio and Jing, Wistia Soapbox, really for capturing videos, whether it's a, a demo of your product or a webinar or an educational video of some kind, or even just like a, a marketing video of like the founder talking about a, a specific reason why he or she built the product. And then for hosting those things, you'd want to use something like Wistia or Vimeo. You could also use YouTube and then an additional pieces of the evaluation stage is providing educational content to people. So things like eBooks fall into this category as well. Yeah. So this is that education stage where you are trying to get people to raise their hand and essentially either sign up for a trial or sign up for a demo or continue to ask for more information so that they, you know, their lead score or their interest score rises to the point where you reach out to them directly. And as you said, with raising their hand, if they do that, then they end up in stage four, which is engagement. And here's the here the prospect has made a conscious decision that they're interested in finding out more. And I would almost say that there is probably a, a few more things in between here because between stage four and stage five, because stage four, the way that they lay it out, you're getting somebody to sign up for your email list or get on a, a demo, whether it's go to webinar or Zoom or a variety of other webinar tools, something like Blue Tick or Drip falls in to this category as well. I feel like CRMs almost fall into this category as well with stage four because you're gathering more information about them. You've had them sign up for your email list and you've started populating that data, whether you've asked them for information in a form, you've had them fill out a survey. Those types of things have to end up someplace and a CRM is really the logical place to start putting some of that information so that you can use that information in additional marketing materials to help move them to the next step. Yeah, I think of this as, you know, some people phrase it as like lead nurturing. And obviously, an email tool is going to be a really nice way to do it, as well as 
webinars that, you know, will get you that one to many. And like you said, CRM, it depends on if you're truly a, like a, a self-serve business or self-service where you just, people come up and they sign up for a $10 a month account. Obviously, you know, your, your CRM is probably your ESP. That, that was really jargony. I just, I just put two acronyms back to back, two TLAs, three letter acronyms back to back. But your, your CRM is probably your email service provider, right? It's a tool like MailChimp or Drip or Infusionsoft where you actually keep a lot of your, your kind of prospect and customer data. But if you have a higher price point and you really are doing, you know, some medium touch sales, then having something like a pipe drive or a base CRM or a high rise or, you know, one of, one of the CRMs I think is obviously going to be helpful and of course, or Salesforce, obviously, but, you know, something like that, it really is going to help move people through the funnel. And then it, it tracks your individual one-on-one -on -one communication. Uh, but you obviously need salespeople to do, uh, to use tools like that or get a lot of benefit out of them, I should say. And the thing I was mentioning earlier where I feel like there should be more between stage four and stage five is that here they've placed stage five as like the commitment and the purchase. And they lift, list a bunch of like ways to take payments. So whether it's PayPal or WooCommerce and for whatever reason, Stripe is not on this list, but they have a couple of shopping carts in there as well. But it seems to me like even in stage four, there's a lot of flexibility for somebody to kind of move forward and back in the, the funnel here a little bit, because somebody might download like an ebook, for example, and then and you don't see or hear from them for two weeks, five weeks, eight weeks, because they got busy doing other things. And there's a lot of, I'll say, circular patterns between customers who come in, they enter in your sales funnel, and then they just kind of like repeat in this area for a while before they move on. And, you know, so you may look at it as, oh, it just takes them longer to get from stage four to stage five. But the reality is like, sometimes people can regress a little bit inside of your sales funnel. So you have to make sure that you have enough marketing materials in there to nurture those people along to the point that they go to that demo and ask the questions that you want them to ask, or you find ways to churn them out on your own. Yeah, I think this sales funnel that that Ignite Visibility is talking about is in essence, it's it's more of a services sales funnel because they're a services firm. I guess it could also be kind of one-time purchase, but certainly if you have SaaS and you have a trial, there's there's a step after engagement before the purchase, right? And I think that's where that's where this is just you know, a little bit different. Yeah. And once you get into the kind of a sassified version of this, then you get into that measuring the trial and seeing how many people are going from the email list into the trial and then how many people are converting from a trial into a paid customer. And then you also have to talk about things like onboarding and are they using certain features in your product? Are they getting the most value out of it? Who is using the features that will turn them into a paid customer? Who's not? How do you get them to use those features? Should you make them front and center or or should you provide them in like a walkthrough or videos inside the app? There's all these things that you can measure in that area and it can get complicated, but it's very specific to whatever your app is because what somebody does in Bluetick, for example, is going to be very different than what somebody does in Drip or any of countless other applications in order to be successful with that product. Right. And in terms of measuring what people are doing in the product, I mean, what we have like Hotjar, like you said, can do a lot of things. I know that Crazy Egg, you can do in-app heat maps. You know of any other tools off the top of your head that help you kind of be aware of, it's almost in-app 
analytics and metrics? So one I would take a look at is probably Segment. So you install Segment and uh, there's a, a developer edition or developer tier that it is aimed at people with less than a thousand, what they call MTUs. It's monthly, I think transactional users or something like that, but monthly total users. And what it does is if you have it in the app and you're only using, I think, two data sources, they say, then it's free. Otherwise, it's $100 a month. And the monthly total users could actually kill you depending on how much traffic you have. So if you put it on your website and you're using that as a source, if you get 10,000 unique visitors a month, it counts as 10,000 MTUs. And depending on how big your business is, that could get expensive. But if you're just doing it in the app and you're trying to pinpoint things and optimize things inside the app, you can send the data into segment. And then from there, you could take a look at another product called Amplitude, which is at amplitude.com. And that allows you to take information that comes directly out of segment or they've got a JavaScript snippet that you can plug in and it will allow you to track people through your app and what they're doing. And their product is free as well until you get to, I think it's something like 10 million events per month. So you have to be fairly large in order to hit their pricing tier. But I would imagine once you get to that, like it's going to be really expensive. But if you're at that level, it's probably going to be worth it for you because it'll allow you to drill in and see exactly who is using which features, how much they're paying. And you can have all that data piped in through segment from your website or from a, your backend database and then through to uh, Amplitude. Very nice. I have not, uh, I hadn't heard of Amplitude before, so that's kind of a cool little stack that you hack together there. We've used Segment for years, but getting it into those, you know, other data analysis platforms, I think is probably the, the kicker and the and the real value there. Yeah, Amplitude, I, I just found out about this recently, so I've been looking into it. And it's interesting to see what, like some of the dashboards and stuff that they have available that, you know, is kind of examples. So you can just see like who is using what in your app and how much they're using it. it gives you all real-time data so that you can take a look at like who's doing what today and how many times have they performed this action or how many times has this thing happened in the background. And you can use those kind of customized dashboards to help you make decisions about your own product versus some off-the-shelf tool like Create which has a one very specific use case, and it's to like see where people are clicking. And yes, it can do other things, but the, the dashboard allows you to customize a lot of things and create one that is specific for your own app. Cool. So to recap the five stages of your sales funnel, number one is awareness, number two is interest, three is evaluation, four is engagement, and five is commitment. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from our Out of Control by Moot, used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.